Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered. Joe is currently frozen on my screen right now because of technical issues. we got to love the technology that we record with, Joe, but it's good to sort of see you stuck there, I suppose. I paused because that way you don't know whether it's me pausing or whether it's the technical difficulties. Yeah. Thank you. All the olds who messaged us talking about overhead projectors last week slash transparency machines, whatever you call it. And it's just uh, good to be amongst our fellow olds, but uh, with technology these days, you know, it's awesome uh, when it works, which it still is working because you can hear me, right, Sean? Yeah, I can hear you just like the good old days of telephone, right? We've come a long way in the last 100 plus years. It's funny with the, using the term old because on the Vegas show, I got in trouble for saying old. I'll always, I'll just like you did, I, I'll sometimes joke and refer to myself as old or us as old. Uh, but people started getting offended when I used the word old uh, because they thought I was talking about them. So the old quote unquote old people out there didn't like it. So it's funny how, how a word that you could just drop like you just did could trigger a lot of people. Yeah, I I mean, I can get I get it, right? Like if you're at a certain point in your life, like you're near a multiple of ten birthday or something like that, you're just feeling sensitive, you are a Jets fan who realized that you will die before the Jets ever win a Super Bowl. Congrats to the Raiders for winning that terrible game yesterday. You know, like like I, I, I get why it can be sensitive. And in my darkest moments, I don't like thinking about how I'm old, but generally, you know, I don't mind. Like I was just thinking before we got on Sean, just randomly, I was like, man, social media, like all the dumb thoughts you have when you're in your teens or twenties or whatever, like now you put them all on social media. Like when we were kids, it, it just wasn't like that. So it's just it's just one of those things. I embrace I embrace middle age. You know, I, I like it. I, I feel like I'm much wider, wiser overall. But you know, I, I get it. We don't want to offend anyone because it it is scary to think about growing up sometimes. So we don't want to offend you, old people. So sorry about that. If you, if using the term now, I think it's funny because as you said, we're both hitting our middle ages, right? And so there's some interesting perspective that comes with that, and you know the way that you look at the world, and then the nostalgia. I think this is maybe the part of your life where you start hitting all the nostalgia, which is why we have so much of that 80s nostalgia everywhere all the time. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad we, hopefully we didn't offend anybody. But I just thought it was interesting because I feel like if you listen to me or watch me enough, then you kind of understand my sense of humor. And, you know, I would make jokes like that all the time. But, you know, I guess that sometimes you get to a wider audience who doesn't like it and they just want to be offended by you but uh, that's not this audience i don't i feel like we don't have people get randomly offended by us on this show too often 
Not too often. Only about the most random things that don't make sense to me. Actually, I had a, I had like some questions for you, Sean. Watching, you know, this is the first game, first time the Jets visited the Raiders at Allegiant and stuff like that. And I'm sure like lots of people know all this, but not everyone knows this. And I'm really curious in terms of I was like thinking about because they keep cutting, you know, they they cut to like B roll or whatever during the game, and they keep cutting to like casinos and things like that, but. There's not, you know, there's no, I like, I was looking at the Allegiant and there's no casino there. And I was wondering like, how does one get there? Like, can you walk there from the strip? Do you have to take the, what's Elon's stupid boring tunnel or whatever? Like, you know, how, how do you get there from the strip? Because that's, I assume that's where everyone stays. It's just over the freeway from the strip. So if you know where Luxor and Mandalay Bay are, the street that runs right next to them, there's a bridge that goes right over it. So those are like a five-minute walk away. And yeah, from the strip, you just get down to there and typically walk over the bridge. Uh, so it sort of sits on the other side of the freeway from where all the casinos are, but it's close enough that it's easy enough to get to. And yeah, I saw Aaron Rodgers was in town, and I'm surprised you didn't come out here for the game, Joe. And subject myself to that. You know, every time like my, <laughs> my buddy has Jets season tickets and every time they have like last week where they lost to the Chargers like 38 to 7 or whatever, I was like, please tell me you sold your seats for last night. And, you know, he's always like, nope, I watched that monstrosity in person. So, you know, just ugh, shudder. I know Halloween's over, but spooky season if you're going to watch the Jets. Yeah, and the Packers, and not our not our year for football. So we'll just have to you know write off the season as we get deeper in. I had hope yesterday, but the Packers, as they have been, they couldn't pull it out. So there is that. So I've been trying to finally use my Delta Vacations voucher, the this, this saga that will never end for the last years and years. I had settled down that I was going to use it in Orlando next month, but I hadn't booked anything yet, and it sucks because now on their website. They've taken away the ability to use uh, Delta Vacations for universal tickets. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to call them and see if there's a way to do it over the phone. But I may have screwed myself because I have a bunch of money. And if I have to use it all on a hotel, then I don't know. It feels like a waste to me. I'd rather get universal tickets. But it does look like that week before Christmas, because we get out of school a little bit earlier here, it's not as busy there. The prices aren't as high for the hotels. So uh, we're going to try to slot in there for a quick christmas time in orlando using our delta vacations voucher i feel like it's a big downgrade though from what we were going to do with alani and i feel like i really kind of screwed this up by waiting and waiting and waiting and not just using it on something else i mean yeah maybe but you had to like cancel because of the pandemic right or that was the original cancellation i i feel like after these things you have a great use for them and then something happens, then you have a good to okay use for them, right? And eventually, it's been so long that in a lot of ways, it's just free money at this point. So if you take it from that perspective, like anything you get is good. Kind of like what we say with free nights, except for at least this one's never expiring. Yeah, I was hoping though, yeah, what actually happened is just that they've taken away a lot of the properties. So you used to be able to book different Disney properties like Alani, which is what I originally had booked. And Disney tickets and other things. And now the options are limited. So that's really kind of messing me up. If I can get universal tickets somehow, then I could do with the amount of money I have like a week at the Swan or Dolphin on Disney property and then separately do universal tickets to use next year or something. So I'm still trying to figure out a good use for that. 
but I'm excited to do Orlando. I haven't done Orlando at Christmas time, believe it or not, ever. So, well, actually, not true. I did the the meetup for Diamond uh, a couple of years ago in early December, and we're doing it again in a couple of weeks. So I'll be there then, and then I'll be going back for that. But uh, yeah, I do enjoy the holiday celebrations in the theme park. So that'll be fun. And then get out of town, get back home before Christmas, before it gets too crazy. Is it really like crazy there for that week before Christmas? Or does it start to get busier at Christmas? Because the prices seem reasonable for that week that we want to go. I think in past years, it started getting crazier that week before Christmas. I think last year, Christmas was actually pretty chill overall uh, in the area. I mean, it wasn't like low crowds or anything, but it wasn't insane crowds that you kind of wish you hadn't come type crowds. And honestly, for the past few years, Christmas has not been that bad. I think partially because the prices are so expensive in Christmas, um, that makes a difference too. So I, I think the week before, yes, the crowds will be picking up, but you should be pretty good. I mean, you can just tell by the hotel prices and the hotel availability, like it's not, it's not going to be out of control. So, you know, for, for those of you, like lots of people, end up taking last minute trips down to Disney around Christmas. If you go a little early, go that week before, you know, it's, it's not a bad time to go. Yeah. We have the cheapest passes too, uh, which we need to use just to sort of get the best value out of them because they expire in January. So we're locked out like for some of those days, but that's fine. We would have like three days to go to the Disney parks, which would be enough. And then also do some of the other parks down there. So it'd be fun to do it. And then I could still get home for, Christmas so the wife can be with her family and all of that. And, you know, this is this whole trying to maximize travel on school schedule thing sucks, Joe. I'm just going to say it. Uh, it was easier when we didn't have to worry about the school schedule, but we're making it work. I- I'm I'm adjusting, getting back to that uh, frame of mind. You're going to be back to homeschooling before you know it. <laughs> yeah, if neither one of us love homeschooling. Well, that's the problem is Jasmine and I hate it. Uh, if we liked it more, I think it would make a lot of sense for us, given everything. But, yeah, we don't like it. And our daughter doesn't like it. She loves being in school. So I guess that's a no to homeschooling. <laughs> what is that? What's your son doing? In, uh, doesn't, job. You can give your son a give a son a, give your son a, a side hustle, homeschooling your daughter. Yeah, I don't know that that would that would end very probably well. Would be, uh, probably would be even worse than the parents doing it. Yeah, I think so. For sure. All right, let's talk about some miles and points related stuff and, and travel. And starting with American Express, Benji wrote an article, you know, this week, just basically kind of reiterating the concern about American Express and all the changes they've been making lately. He calls it Amex unease. And we've talked about some of this before, but it's very clear that American Express is moving in a direction of changes. And I don't think this is necessarily the worst thing in the world because I think back to the beginning of. COVID and, you know, 2020, and we started seeing all those no lifetime language offers and all those crazy big bonuses. And then everybody said, well, this can't last. And here we are three year plus years later, and we're still have these great bonuses, still a lot of opportunity with American Express. So something was going to change at some point, right? It couldn't just be unlimited stuff. And what we're seeing is a very specific sort of strategy by them, but we don't really know how that's all going to play out in the end. But what they've done is they've installed those family rules. So they're basically limiting bonuses to a more, in a more strict way. Uh, And then obviously they've also upped the spend requirements on a a lot of their bonuses. So instead of, you know, 5k spend, now it's 8k spend, things like that. So they're making you use the card more to get the welcome offers. And then we've seen the annual fees go up. So the combination of these three things, making American Express not as good as it was, but then I would argue 
it's still really good. And if this is the worst that we see, then we're probably in a pretty good position, especially compared to other banks who aren't quite as generous. Yeah, I think that it's just it's. It, remember when Chase was kind of like the clear number one for the miles and points people? Um, it would just you know, and then five twenty four happened, and that kind of changed everything. You know, I feel like this is this is where Amex is going with the honestly, like the high fees combined with the service not being as good these days. I think that's really. You know, I don't know if they're trying to weed out people, but that that's definitely uh, what is happening. I, I think that for normal, casual miles and points people, you're not really going to see the effects. But, you know, for example, back when the Platinum was still 495 even for the annual fee, it you could make it make sense to get like 10 of them and, you know, do – what you want to do with them. But now that it's 695, like that, that really changes the calculus of it all. So I, I think that it is just kind of brought Amex back down. Cause like, I think Amex was especially right before all those shutdowns, uh, which were right before the pandemic. I think Amex was really kind of in pole position for a little while and in terms of card issuers, but it's definitely back down with the pack. A couple interesting comments. Some people were happy that it's going to weed out max spend and churners. And so, you know, I think that's from a more casual or maybe not casual, but like less squeeze every single cent of value you can to perspective. And then um, other people on the article were commenting that like, Here's one. Spend aside Amex damage to their benefits. Had me cut up my cards after 40 years of loyalty. Absurd annual fees. Call centers suck, et cetera, et cetera. Once was the card, now TPOS, total POS. This quote is, I think, kind of the important one for those who are really into the game. Skilled players recognize that there's always change and are not wedded to any particular issuer or card. The game is much like a water balloon. This is a great analogy, Sean. Squeeze it on one end and it pops out the other end. So, you know, good comments there. Uh, good food for thought. Amex definitely has dropped off, but I think there's value to be had both at Amex, maybe not as much, but also through other issuers as well. Yeah, there's a couple of points in there. American Express, I've been a card member since 2001, and it's not the same company, right? The quality of the customer service has continually gone down. Uh, they used to be a very much premium provider, and they've widened their customer base significantly, even though they've tried to keep that sort of brand image. So I agree. I mean, it's not the same company, but that's not a reason to leave them. I also think the minimum spend requirements are something to look at because they do affect normal people maybe more than they do people in this hobby. I think there are a lot of people in this hobby who have creative ways to make spend or they worry less about spend, whereas a normal person might be looking for a card with 3K spend in three months or something. And now what American Express has cleverly done is they've increased the spend requirements and sometimes they've upped it to six months. So it said of, you know, four or 5,000 in three months, now it's 8,000 in six months. So now they want you to use the card more, you have to hit more spend. So it becomes a little trickier. And this is just sort of an evolution. They have more data. They can see how they can get you to drive and use the cards more. And we'll see more of that. But as long as we still see these targeted offers and American Express continues to sort of enforce the rules in the way that they have been, because they, as we know, they have many more rules in writing than they actually have in practice. You know, I think it's still pretty good. So 
like you said, maybe just kind of coming back in with the pack instead of being way out in front where everybody is sort of going nuts with American Express. What's uh, next? I think it's a devaluation episode, huh? Yeah, this is one of those happy episodes where we talk about this. Well, let's talk about it. So Southwest says they're going to devalue rapid rewards next year. But let's back up a little bit and talk about revenue-based programs, right? Isn't the idea of a revenue-based program where the price of points required is equal, is based on the cash price of the ticket, doesn't that mean that you should never have to devalue your points, right? I mean, basically, as the cash price of tickets changes with the economy, then the number of points changes, but you shouldn't have to, you know, change the value of your points, but that's exactly what Southwest has done several times over the years, and they're doing it again, roughly devaluing from 1.4 cents per point to 1.35 cents per point, about a 4% decrease. Uh, so yeah, there you go. It doesn't matter that th- what the cash price is. Now your points are just going to go less. I don't like any of this stuff with revenue-based programs because it just shows you that all that all that revenue-based stuff is a lie. Yeah, I agree. Revenue-based... I, I, like, I think the thing with revenue-based stuff is it just feels like cash back because it is, you know, uh, it's, and it's cash back that you can only use for whatever airline it is for. And people get into the game for different reasons. Like if you're just getting into the game to save money and to fly for cheaper, then revenue base, it's not really a big deal. Like it changes your earning or whatever. But like I said, you're just getting a rebate on all your spending and you can use that rebate. You know, it's just kind of like a, it's almost like creating a second bank account that you just save for your flight money or whatever. Right. And so that's one thing, but I think, you know, for me, I always got into it or I got into it to fly in nicer cabins for the same amount or ideally less money than I would pay regularly. And so that's like, that's why I don't like revenue based at all. You know, JetBlue is my domestic airline, but I don't really care about earning the, you know, the, the miles and points I earn on JetBlue. Like it's just, it's just, yeah, I guess, I guess it's just kind of a way to save money for those flights, but that's not, you know, I'm not using my JetBlue points or anything to fly to Asia or anything like that. So, you know, I think um, some people are saying that this devaluation could have been much worse, which is true. But when it's revenue based, there's only a certain percentage you can go <laughs> until you get to the point where you're earning like half a cent per dollar spent. I don't know that, you know, there, you could always argue when anything changes that it could be worse. And uh, like I said, Southwest has done this a few times. So this isn't a big Surprise, other airlines have done it. But it's just a reminder that you're going to get squeezed from all ends here with loyalty programs as they mature. And uh, that's what this is. This is just a maturation of, you know, the fact that back in the day, right, you had all these sweet spots uh, in the way that you could earn miles, in the way that you could spend miles with award charts and all this other stuff. And then eventually, and Southwest was one of the first airlines to have revenue based. Uh, They realized, hey, let's base it on the actual price. And we'll give people the value that way. And we're not going to get screwed with these sweet spots where somebody's, you know, getting outsized value. And then now on the other side of it, it's like, well, let's make the points worth less and less and less and less. And so now can you not get outsized value on the side? Because it's based on the price of the ticket. But now your points are worth less. And over time, you get squeezed. And that is how loyalty programs work in 2023. And that is what we see here. I don't, you know, hate Southwest for this, but... Again, if it's revenue-based, you shouldn't have to devalue your points. 
That's the, at least that's the argument in theory. Yeah, definitely. Just a reminder for those of you who are wanting to do it. If you are looking to do your Q4 spending for your 2024 Southwest Companion Pass, now's the time to sign up for one or two Southwest cars if you're that's what you're going for. Yeah. So unless you want to just boycott Southwest for this devaluation, then just go right ahead and avoid them completely. But I don't think I don't think people are going to do that, Joe. I'm about to get my companion pass. I haven't had one in a few years, so I will actually have my frontier status and my companion pass early next year. So I will be covered for all my domestic low cost carrier. I mean, Southwest really isn't a low cost carrier, but that's what they call themselves. So I'll be covered. Yes, frontier and Southwest. You got all you got all your bases covered for the airlines that nobody wants to fly. I'm just kidding. People are okay to fly Southwest sometimes. All right, so just a little bit more airline news. And, you know, between, like, the way we talked last week about JetBlue, these airline programs are becoming so complicated now with the way that you earn status and, you know, the way that you can earn through spending. And, you know, they really are trying to push you to use the credit cards. And United actually just made a positive change for earning premier qualifying points with your credit card. Basically, before you would get 500 points for every 12K spend, now you're going to get 25 qualifying points for every 500 in spend. So like spending 10K would get you the same 500 points that 12K before would. So just making it a little easier to earn points by spending and not a surprise here. They want you to use the credit cards. And we're going to see more and more of this as these programs mature on how to get you to use the credit cards. And, you know, sometimes it'll be more generous. Sometimes it won't. Uh, but like I said, these are all complicated, like to really get your head wrapped around every one of these major programs now, it takes a lot more time than it used to. Because it used to just be simple. You fly miles, you earn them, you get these basic perks. But, you know, we talk about JetBlue and all their tiles and all this other stuff, keeping track of your spend and all your different qualifying statuses and how you have, I mean, it gets complicated. Yes, I took one look at this graph and graphic about their changes and i was like sean you can handle this one i am not interested in this and i'm not interested in spending any brain cells to figure out how this earning has changed i you know it's just i don't know we're we're it's a we're a broken record at this point um for those of you who are old and know what a record is the loyalty programs are as complicated as possible so that they can squeeze out as much from you as possible it's not about our loyalty to a program anymore. It's about making us feel loyalty to a program, but then having us have breakage, uh, losing, you know, or either breakage or causing us to spend a little bit extra. I mean, it is breakage, right? Because like, if it's going to be premier qualifying points, like you're going to overspend to make sure, uh, you know, take me and my stupid having mosaic every year thing. Like, I, back in the day, it was spend $50,000 on the card or whatever. I never spent $50,000. I always spent 50000 plus like $55,000 or something like that. Like I always go over just in case, like who knows, I need to like do a huge return or like I have to cancel a vacation or something like that. And then of course, on top of that, I'm like flying their flights too. So that's contributing as well. So, you know, it's all, it's all about breakage and maximize, you know, that's why these are billion dollar programs. And uh, that's why everyone jokes that the airlines are just, you know, credit card credit card companies that just happen to fly planes as well exaggeration but you know yeah i mean and you win some you lose some with them obviously i talk about my loyalty to hyatt and i've spent money keeping that over the years and i feel like i've gotten benefit but then other than that i've really tried to 
maximize status through promotions and either credit cards or different status matches. And so I feel like I come out ahead in a lot of cases, but most people don't. And, you know, they're bending over backwards. And as this gets more complicated, I think people should just step back a little bit, look in the mirror and say, is this worth it? Because it, I don't know, it just, like you said, this United article just made my head spin too, mainly because I'm not too worried about United in getting their status. I don't have a whole lot of United flights. I don't fly them all too often, even though I just flew them to Costa Rica and had a great time. So I'm not really paying all that close attention to it. But they want it more complicated because they want you to be heavily invested in learning it so that you're heavily invested in you know participating in their ecosystem and doing all this. And there's nothing we can do about it. But you know, the good news is these days, Joe, that you couldn't do in the past is you can use credit card spend to earn airline status which is a positive development, especially for people in this hobby who can you know, generate a lot of spend because it's opened up opportunities that didn't exist before. So that is a good thing, too, from all this complication. Definitely. Agree with that. Agree with that. So we're a little late to this, but they're not over yet. So I wanted to cover this. And that is all the shopping portal bonuses that are going on right now. And this is good when we're talking about all the airlines because you can earn more miles. And a lot of that counts towards status. Like with Southwest, it would count towards the Companion Pass, American obviously towards status and, you know, basically all these airlines now. So usually this time of year, we see two sets of shopping portal bonuses, one that takes place right now. And then generally you'll get another one in December. So hopefully you'll get more, but here's what the bonuses currently going on are. Some of them end uh, this weekend when this show is coming out. Uh, Some of them go into early next week. So uh, we'll put a link in the description. You can see all of them, but Southwest offering, up to 4,000 bonus points when you spend 1,000. I mean, there's different spending tiers for all of these. I won't go over all of them. But again, those count for the companion pass. Delta is spend 1,000, earn up to 2,000 bonus miles. Alaska, spend 650, earn 1,500 bonus miles. United, spend 1,200, earn up to 5,000 bonus miles. So that's like an extra 5X. American, spend 1,600, earn 4,000 bonus miles. So these are actually very generous. And then, like I said, they have lower spend tiers. So what you do is generally look at what the regular payout is, add in whatever your bonus payout would be, use a site like Cashback Monitor to see if you're still getting the best return. But in a lot of cases, these are going to be the way that you want to do it. And just a reminder this week to kind of knock those out if you haven't done it. And then don't forget about your family members, P2s. You could really earn a lot of points if you have a lot of spend coming up with these portal bonuses. So this is probably the best time of year for all that stuff. Yes, always the best time of year to just earn extra points here and there. I mean, it really does add up, um, especially if you are getting presents or, I don't know, you just spend a lot more during this time of the year. So uh, keep an eye out on those things. Don't be like me. Actually pay attention when these Q4 bonuses come up because, you know, especially if you have multiple cards and sometimes you can get them for like on the multiple cards, like, you know, it's always a great deal. Yeah, and like with United, you're getting 5,000 bonus miles, so it's not small change. There's actually some good earning opportunities. And then, like I said, there are lower spend thresholds for all of them, so depending on what spend you have, do that. And then just keep an eye out on Miles to Memories. We'll cover it, but keep an eye out in December because we should get another opportunity to do these all over again, which is nice and always good when those hit. So I wanted to kind of close out by talking about Benji and another article that he came up with, I, I, the title is sort of strange. I will follow why I like these points and travel rules. And 
Uh, this is a very interesting premise for an article, basically saying all the rules within the points and travel hobby that he agrees with. But it's a very sort of outside the box thing because he starts with like lounge access. Then he talks specifically about Bank of America card applications, Southwest boarding. And when I kind of went through this, Amex fine print is another one, this hodgepodge of sort of ideas about rules. I got me thinking about just all the rules we follow, whether it be in travel or the hobby. There are so many rules in the world. And then especially if you leave the country and you see how the rest of the world operates, where Americans, I feel like, like to break rules a lot. So we see a lot of gray area where other countries, especially, for example, in Asia, they're very rules-based, so they're not pushing the limits as much. I don't know. I just feel like we're so bombarded with rules in this hobby, and that's a good thing because we can take advantage of them. Uh, but is it a bad thing as well? Yeah. First of all, when I saw the article headline, I thought Benji was going to do one of his, you know, there are like the unwritten rules of Miles and Points game. Benji. You should write that article, you know, the unwritten rules. You know how everyone rails against the unwritten rules of baseball? You should rail against the unwritten, unwritten rules. You know, of, so now uh, I'm going to have to hear Benji complain about the fact that you told him that on the podcast. So he's going to get mad that you said he should have written the unwritten no, no, no. rules. This article was great, too. I'm not hating on this article. I'm just saying that's what I thought it was going to be because that seems like a Benji-type article to write. And Benji, don't be upset. I'm just giving you an idea for your next article. I'm pitching Sean for you so you don't have to do that. The unwritten rule thing aside, yeah, I don't I, – I think there's an argument to be made. I wouldn't say that rules are good uh, necessarily, and I definitely – don't love the lounge access rules. I feel like they're just too stringent, especially, you know, we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum, especially with Delta and stuff like that, cutting down for the people who spend like thousands and thousands of dollars on them, cutting down their lounge access. But I will say that, you know, one thing I like about all the rules that Benji put on here is that unlike, say, United Premier Qualifying Points systems and stuff like that, they're all fairly straightforward, and I do like when loyalty programs or banks make the rules clear so you know how to follow them, how to how to not break them, or to try to break them. Like You know what the parameters are. You can figure out what the gray areas are because you know what the black and white areas are. What drives me nuts, again, is when... Like it's so complicated that the whole thing feels like a gray area, even though like if you read all the fine print and you take your abacus out and, you know, you just do one of those, uh, like you said last week, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, Charlie boards up there, you know, you link everything together with the yarn and stuff like that then you can figure it out but like i hate i hate those rules that's that's like too much but like you know the the rules that are simple some like bank of america's application rules yeah it's annoying how often you can apply and stuff like that but at least you know i miss the days where you could get seven cards in one day with bank of america i like that rule better just just saying but i you know i wonder with you joe and i wonder with people out there you know, as people in this hobby who are always sort of looking at rules and trying to push rules and trying to find, um, you know, loopholes or trying to find the gray area or trying to find how they can push up against or get away with stuff. I think that describes a lot of people in this hobby. And then you travel and you're bombarded with rules. And so I got on, I started thinking about rules and how, like, I'm always going up against rules. I think I'm stupid while I travel, but then it, who's 
to say that my definition of stupid is the right definition. So I don't try to impose my own viewpoints on other places. But when I'm in countries that are not the U.S., I have to act completely different because I'm not pushing up on a lot of the same sort of societal norms there. And then I just started thinking about like when you're traveling in general, just how many rules you're so exposed to rules, right? I mean, because at home you have your own thing, but out there you go to a museum and then there's rules how you have to act and where you have to go and then where you buy your ticket. And at hotels, there's rules and etiquette. And man, the the world is just so full of rules, Joe. Yes, yes. It's too bad. And I don't, I don't generally love breaking rules, honestly. It's, it's, you know, everyone knows that feeling like the first time you... I uh, cashed a money order or bought a gift card or whatever. Like you, you always keep thinking that. The, well, those of us who grew up being used to following rules, I should say, um, you know, I always felt like the cops were going to come and get me for my $500 gift card or whatever. Didn't we see something in the Slack group the other day about like, there was this huge, like it was not, it was, it wasn't someone doing any kind of, um, miles and point shenanigans someone on a cruise was doing like straight up money laundering at the casino and then the cops came like i imagine if i was at the casino and i wasn't even doing anything i would be like oh shoot what did i do like what am i in trouble for yeah that's why a lot of people don't like to buy money orders or to do that kind of stuff it's not because on some level they think they're doing anything wrong even if they know intellectually that there's no law against it it's the perception of others that they're doing something wrong or the perception that they're breaking the rules or, you know, the attention that that brings. So, you know, it, it it's interesting. But I just think like in everyday life, we are always pushing back. I just the more I've traveled, the more I've sort of looked at American culture and understanding that, you know, some of our norms just don't go other places. And the way that we try to cut corners and the way that we are always just, I don't know, pushing the rule. I, I don't know. I feel like it's just, I guess and maybe it's universal and I'm just not noticing it as much, but Americans like to push the rules more than just about anything else. And I guess in that way, this hobby is the most American of hobbies, right? Because that's what it's all about. It's about pushing the rules. And I guess if you don't get that little weird feeling in your stomach, then maybe you're not pushing hard enough. But then also that little weird feeling in your stomach, isn't that what it's supposed to kind of keep you out of trouble? Yes, theoretically, but you know, some of us are sociopaths and don't have that part of our brain that, you know, hey, have you have you heard of this thing called the dark triad? No. So, it is like a quiz and y'all can google it and it looks up three things or like it's a quiz and then you take it and then I heard it on Pablo Torre finds out Pablo Torre previously of ESPN Daily, excellent podcast by the way. Ostensibly it's about sports, but a lot of times they talk about non-sports things. Like they had a whole episode on AI and stuff like that. Anyway, the dark triad is a quiz that analyzes how much of a narcissist, Napoleon, or psychopath, sociopath you are. And so you, it's like one of those personality quizzes, but it's like for all the bad things. Um, and then you can see, you know, whether you have, uh, you know, and then if you if you have if you score high on all three, then you're the dark triad. You're basically a serial killer. So the thing that was really interesting about taking that quiz is you know that it like you know that it's analyzing whether you are a narcissist or not, or whether you are a sociopath or not. So like you see the question, and it's something like it's something like you know no one else's no one else's opinion matters but mine, right? And then you're like, do you put strong like do you put strongly agree to that? 
or do you put you disagree with that? Because like one could say that like, oh, if I'm teaching a kid self-confidence, you know, I want I want them to understand that like, you know, their opinion is the most important opinion, right? Right. But then it's like if I'm taking a quiz to see if I'm a narcissist, maybe I don't want to put that. Anyway, it's a it's a fun quiz to take. It's it's funny because I pulled it up here and the first question is it's not wise to tell your secrets and then goes from disagree to agree with all the different things. And I was having the same thought. I was like, you know, you start to think about how you should answer that in the context of this test, even though, you know, I don't know. It's it, that is. Yeah, hilarious. I think the, I think the only way the test it. would actually work is like you have to not know what it's testing for. Then you could answer honestly. But when you know what it's testing for, then it's like, you know, but anyway, it's pretty fun. Fun. I assume most of you are not dark triads out there. You know, if you uh, have five minutes to kill uh, on your phone or whatever, go ahead. See see if you're a, a narcissist or a psychopath or a Napoleon, which I saw the, <laughs> do you see the trailer for the new Napoleon movie, Ridley Scott? No. So there was this myth about one of his battles that basically he like led an army out onto a frozen lake and then shot cannons into it and like killed them all. But apparently like in real life only that was like at the very end of the battle and only like a few people died. But of course, Ridley Scott, you know, you're making a movie, right? You got to make it dramatic. And so like the whole, the whole trailer is based on like hundreds of hundreds of, I don't even know what army soldiers uh, being killed by this whole frozen lake thing. That is a terrible, terrible way to die. Yeah. But I mean, CGI makes it so cheap just to add more and more soldiers that, you don't need to know the truth. You could just add in thousands and thousands of soldiers for cheap. So why would you tell the truth when, you know, you could add in a thousand CGI soldiers dying? Agreed. While we're on the tangent, did you see like going around like the thing that said that like men think about the Roman Empire like once a day? Um, yeah, I did see that. Yeah. I don't think about the Roman Empire. So I was like, I guess I'm not a man. That's, that's, I do that's think about I'm it right. occasionally. Like there will be times where you, I don't think about it every day, but there's times where you sort of equate it back. It is funny, you know, to see that. I did want to, while we're talking about TV, because we didn't talk about it up front, I'm sort of embarrassed by this, but I just discovered the show for all mankind. Have you watched that show on Apple TV? Yes, yes. I didn't love the third season, but I hear the fourth season. Uh, we're back baby. Um, yeah. For those of you who don't know, the premise is what if the Soviets landed a person on the moon before us? And like, how would that have, you know, the, the competition between the USSR and the US is like legendary. And like, that's why we got to the moon because we were like trying to like one up them. And so it's a whole alternate history where there's so much more space travel because, because we lost the first space race we had to insist on winning the others and it's a really it's a really fun show you know season three got a little bit weird but i i hear season four is really good so i'm glad you finally found that even though freaking apple tv is three dollars more per month now like they have quality programming but you know they don't it's 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 quality not quantity so it's tough to stomach the price increase you know because i like watch one show at a time per quarter on Apple TV. And it's like, is it worth paying $10 a month to watch this one show? Like when Ted Lasso is out, I'll watch it. For All Mankind is out, I'll watch it. Every once in a while, there's a movie. But yeah, glad you got into it. So what season are you on? I'm all caught up now. So I, over the last few weeks, I've been streaming it. Yeah, it launched with Apple TV Plus for All Mankind did. And I don't know how I missed that, the memo on it. But 
it's like like you said, it's that alternate version of history where it starts with the Soviets winning the race to the moon and then everything sort of changes there. And, and there's some, you know, things that are on the same as our timeline and then things change. And just a really interesting show, well-made. And for people who like space or that sort of stuff, just wanted to recommend that, even though I was sleeping on it for the last one. I'm sure everybody's heard of it and they think I'm a big idiot. I did watch the first episode of season four as well, which looked really cool. And what's really neat is in between seasons, they jump about a decade every single time. So you're getting to watch the characters sort of change to the space race, but now it's starting to look very futuristic too. So it started really kind of looking at 1960s space and the Apollo missions and all that. And now you're kind of into like the future territory, which I liked yeah. as a, as a traveler. Yeah. It was like alternate history, science fiction originally, but now it's like science fiction. It's getting to science fiction, science fiction. Cause like when you get into like the present day, then, you know, like how much have things changed so yeah it's a it's a cool show also randomly my grandfather or not my grandfather my father-in-law my kid's grandfather just sent me an email asking if i want to send my kids to space camp like that sleepaway camp in huntsville alabama where they do stuff with nasa the whole time i was like are you gonna pay for this dude so I'm not not sure if I'm ready to I'm not I'm definitely not ready to send nine year old away to sleepaway camp yet. I know people do it earlier, but I, I just cannot imagine him surviving on his own. I remember as a kid that was the whole thing, like in the eighties, that was the big deal was the the space camp. It doesn't yeah, feel like I didn't it's as know big it still a deal existed. Now. I yeah. didn't know it still existed when he sent it. I was like, Whoa, this is still here. Yeah, I mean, for, that's that was everybody's dream in the 80s, you know, the, that was at the height of the space program. And it's crazy how everything has changed in that space race and the privatization, and it deals with all that. So I really love the show, and I love nerdy stuff like that. So I was uh, glad to find it. Anything else uh, you want to talk about before we head out? Nope. I think we have sufficiently derailed the conversation, and it's time to go. <laughs> Where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? Uh, you can find me at As Joe Flies all over social media. And uh, if you're looking to book a trip, Joseph Chung at travelmation.net. How about you? At Miles to Memories all over social media. We have our YouTube Vegas show, youtube.com forward slash Miles to Memories. And everything that we do, you can find at Miles to Memories.com. And if you have been enjoying this show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you want to leave us a five star review, that would help us out a lot. And most importantly, thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. See ya.